1: Welcome, everybody, to the RacerX podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Brought to you by Fox Racing, foxhead.com. Visit local authorized dealer or go to foxhead.com. Mountain bike, uh, anything you need, motocross wise, they've got it. These guys have everything Ryan Dungey, Kenny Roxon, Jesse Wentland, just some of the guys that wear Fox and uh, continuing in a relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. That's Fox, man. And, uh, again, I'm Steve Mathis. Thanks for the show. Uh, hey, by the way, if did you know that the magazine, the Racer X magazine, it offers up to 100% original content that you won't find on the Internet? This month's issue includes a story written by me about parents staying involved in the professional son's careers. Blake Wharton pens a piece about members of the USA Armed Forces. Chad Reed, Jorge, Lorenzo go flat tracking. Digital subs are 9.98, And uh, subscribe now and get a free Mookie Stewart T-shirt cover t-shirt. So go to online forward slash subscribe and sign up now. With me on the line, a guy who knows a little bit about that Chad Reed and Jorge Lorenzo flat tracking experience. He's a uh, racerx editor, Eric Johnson. EJ, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, good, Steve. Real good. How are you doing? I uh, Did you read all that off a piece of paper? Or did yes, just... I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, uh, well, you're pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, the racerx guys are trying to do some cross promotion here. I told them I would do it. No problem. So um, yeah. you were at that. That flat tracking day with Jorge Lorenzo oh, yeah. and Jack. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now I'm for not. Sure, in, yeah. I'm not into MotoGP at all. I, we right, talked you... about this. I'm just. Yes. I can't get into road racing. I can't get into MotoGP, and everyone else seems like around me is. But but anyways, I still know a little bit about it. Um, these guys are all Moto fans, aren't they?
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like sometimes, you know, I wonder if um, the industry or. or People, even maybe more so in MotoGP, uh, the community or the culture, even the even the organizational group, know how big the MotoGP guys, uh, how big Supercross fans they are, and, yeah. and vice versa. You yeah. know, but I, you know, I've been around uh, MotoGP a pretty fair amount in the last. Ten years, mm-hmm. and uh, quite a few of the guys now, as, as you well know, and a lot of the the riders know, like Chad Reed and what have you. That uh, you know, a lot of them they definitely like to come over to California during the winter months. You know, and it, it, this winter alone, like Sam Lowes and Andre DeVicioso and and uh, Jorge. I've, I saw Jorge a pretty fair amount this off season. Valentino and uh, quite a few guys make their way over here, and they all love going to Anaheim. You know, or those mm-hmm. first opening West Coast rounds. And they love it. You know, I think they love the stadiums. I think they like the presentation and. Uh, it's just like, as you well know, it's a mutual yeah. admiration kind of deal. I think between the two cultures, and it, uh, to me, it's just awesome that you know they they like and respect each other so much and what they do. So it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's crazy to see these guys walking around Anaheim pits though, and nobody even bothers them or looks at them. And that, yeah, you know, yeah, no, there's you know,
0: there's no doubt about that. I mean, I remember even when I was when I was young. You know, my dad would watch the road races from you know whenever they came on TV or what have you. You know, Kenny Roberts and those guys. Back in that era, Agostini and we'd watch it and you know, as I grew older, like it just it's a sport that never really caught on here. You mm-hmm. know, I think maybe it's just a little bit too too European, right. um culturally, it just, just never really transferred over as much as some of us love it. Um it just it just even when Nicky Hayden was going good right, and we all know right. about the other Americans. Yeah, um, of course.
1: So. Back in the late eighties, nineties, yeah.
0: They were all yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I, I mean, I've got my ways of seeing it. I just think that uh, maybe you know in America that um, you know moms and dads are a little bit a uh, little bit frightened of street bikes, and you know kids, young kids in America as they grow up, they're not you know mm-hmm. culturally they're they're not apt to go buy street bikes so much. Whereas you know other nations in Europe and. Know Italy, yeah. France, and places like that where you can see things like that happening. So I don't know, just a little bit of a disconnect, mm-hmm. but man, it's an awesome sport. Just
1: yeah. awesome. Uh, Chad and uh, Jason Thomas and Berner got to go to Roxy's last year uh, in Italy. And, um, you know, basically, it ride bikes flat track with them. And, and then Lorenzo comes out and flat tracks with Chad and everything else. How are these guys when they interact with each other? Are they, are the road race, are the MotoGP guys a little starstruck?
0: Um, well, that's a good question. I mean, the, the way I see it, since I've been working with some of the, the mm-hmm. MotoGP guys, maybe even closer in the past few years, is uh, they're, they're very much like the Supercross guys. You know, the mm-hmm. way uh, their personalities and how they are and how they interact and, and how they talk to you, whether you know you're a journalist or you're an industry guy. Um, it's very similar. They're actually really similar. And when they, you know, for instance, over the winter, Simon Cuddy and I worked on a story where we brought Sam Lowe's, who's a Moto 2 star and who will be in MotoGP next mm-hmm. year with the Aprilia team, and Tommy Searle, we were all out at Glen Helen, and you know, those two were like, they acted like they were brothers. I mean, they're just, <laughs> they were identical. You know, their senses of humor, what they do in life, how they travel around the world together, what they do for fun. I mean, it, basically identical
1: yeah it's uh and of course Casey Stoner was around RV that last year quite a bit um you know he was all into it too and, and he was yeah hanging out pretty cool no one knew who he was everything else it's it's an it's a crossover I, I myself EJ like I'll t- give me GNCC give me Canadian motocross give me almost any off-road you know, motorcycle racing over these guys, I just, I never really had a street bike, I had one for a few weeks, uh, I never really rode on the road much, I just, for me, I'm like, eh, I just can't get into it, man, and I I keep, you know, you tell me, I, I gotta go to one, and I hopefully I will one day, and I'll get a garage pass, and I'll go around and, and all that, and maybe that'll get me into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I, uh, my first job in the motorcycle industry was back in 93, I think it was, I was hired on to work uh, at Suzuki's ad agency at the time called mm-hmm. Lord Densu and Partners, uh-huh. and uh, they hired me in because I knew a lot about motocross and, and you know, if as far as an ad agency, they needed somebody like that. And, you know, my first half year, year there, like I was just so over the top with all the motocross right. stuff. And eventually they pulled me aside and they're like, hey, look, you know, we know you know a lot about motocross and you love that and stuff. But we, we want you to try and focus a little bit more and maybe try <laughs> and learn a little bit more, get up to speed more with this road racing stuff. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm not so into that, and which I wasn't. Uh-huh. Uh, Even though my dad was into it, Um, but anyway, I don't know. It kind of became an acquired taste. You know, once I started like uh, investing some time in it, Mm -hmm. how it worked, the history, going to the races helped a lot. I went to a lot of those early Laguna Seca GPs and some of those races at Daytona 200 and stuff like that. And I don't know. I'm not going to say a light switch. Went off, but mm-hmm. I just really started to have this, you know, build up this deep appreciation for it. And, um, you know, and a lot of people, I don't know if they remember it or not, but um, Davey Coombs and I, back in 98, you know, we worked together on Racer X, but in, in 2000, um, 2001, 2002, we started Road Racer X, and that was something I had a feeling would work. And um, that was actually a pretty successful magazine for a while until, like, uh, you know, the economy in that particular discipline of motorcycle racing mm-hmm. and the motorcycle industry kind of went sideways and uh you know the magazine's no longer with us but um it, like I said it's still a great sport and I'm I'm really happy it, it to me it's just nice to mix it up you know mm-hmm. I love supercross motocross always will but to like you know wake up on Sunday morning like I did last weekend and turn on Moto GP from Qatar I mean that's just just awesome you know? <laughs> okay. just, I mean it really is right, it really right. is and that racing, nobody's going to tell me different. That's the best racing in the world. MotoGP is the best racing in the world. Car racing included, everything included. To watch like those four, five, six guys race that close together like mm-hmm. that, that's just astonishing to me.
1: And uh, how many do you get to go to? How many do you do
0: uh it, it varies like uh, you know i'm all set to go to austin texas here in a couple of weeks for moto gp when they come here after argentina uh there's a good chance i'll go to a couple in europe this year yep. um you know and then there's world superbike stuff i'm I'm around and involved with and um you know and, and then just guys like coming around just just racers uh, that i run into and in various travels and stuff so you know i'm around i'm around as the MotoGP, World Superbike stuff now as much as I am the motocross. To be honest with you, yeah,
1: no, I know you're you're getting pulled away, EJ. It's not good. It's not good. No, no, no. no. I mean, I <laughs> you know, hey, moto is my life and always will be.
0: But like, look, it, it, as long as it's racing, especially motorcycle racing, you know, even like to go to X Games at Austin, Texas, this years this year. You know, freestyles coming back and mm-hmm. big tricks coming back, and even dirt track will be there. I, I just I love to go. Check out different things like that. It it just I don't know. I like uh, being maybe if I can a little more eclectic with it, just because yeah. I just love motorcycle racing, you know. Well, what about
1: my hockey podcast? Let's talk hockey, EJ. <laughs> <That's>, hockey, <laughs> well, you know, I have a hockey history. <laughs> that's uh, that's my MotoGP. Maybe your getaway from from Moto a little bit. Mine's hockey a little bit. You know, where I'm like. I'm sitting back and, well, I guess it's not the same because you're not just a fan of MotoGP. You're involved with the guys a little bit. But for me, watching hockey, I'm just a fan, just sitting back. It's what I enjoy. It's what I follow. And, you know, i got a pulp hockey podcast now and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things.
0: Yeah, it's nice to mix it up. You know, it's nice to go into another sporting culture, whether it's racing or, or like you, as you said, like hockey, just to go see how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, to yeah. see how different it can be and, and try and, you know, make some new relationships there and get to know some people and, and see how it works. Like, um, I, I think that's good. I think that's kind of a healthy thing, you know, and to yeah. to go to road races and go meet some of these riders and some of the team people and the media people and all that and, like, kind of get to know them and see how it works. And like I said a minute ago, yeah. turn on TV and watch these guys at Qatar that I know a little bit now, you know, just like watching a Supercross, some of the guys out there that I know. I mean, it just, you have a connection with it.
1: Let me ask you this. So uh, with your with your gig, you go to MotoGP, you go to NASCAR, you've been to 18,000 Supercross motocross races. Um, I'm probably missing some. Let's go X Games, whatever else you go to. Now, pull yourself into the motocross, Supercross world. What would you think we, Motocross Supercross, can do better in media, rider access, in interviews, in press conferences that you see in other sports where we're lacking a little bit? Like, Give me some ideas of what, if you could wave a magic wand and take something from one of those sports and move it into our sport, um, what, what would it be? What do you think?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Um I mean they're all so different, yet some of them are alike. You know, I went to mm-hmm. I went to Formula 1 last October with uh, the Mercedes team and I was around them for 3 or 4 days and watching how they worked and and it's like this way with MotoGP too, I guess, with like a, with a really top flight guy like a Jorge or a Valentino or when I was in Austin, Texas, um, last October with like a Lewis Hamilton, Uh you know, to even get a chance to even talk to one of those guys is you almost have to start planning weeks in advance. You know, you have to almost have a connection. You have to know some people within the team, you know, maybe you're with a sponsor that can always help. Um, but know, to get a chance to, to, to sit even, down with yeah. Lewis or, yeah. or which I, I'm hoping to. I hope to talk to Nico Rosberg this week. Um, I mean, that took, that takes a couple weeks to try and get that set up. Jeez. Um, and, Moto MotoGP too, you know, as I, as I prepare to go to, Circuit of the Americas. For that, you know, mm-hmm. I got to basically, you have to schedule appointments to see the guys, um, especially the the top tier guys. Uh, whereas in motocross, in what, it hasn't changed that much. In, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, if you're with a magazine or you're with a website, and you know, you know the you know the teams, you know the mechanics, you know the riders you know, the industry, you could still basically just walk up to one of the trucks and corner one of the guys, you know, like that's exactly it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is the beauty of it. You know, to, to be able to like, you know, find Chad Reed or or Eli Tomac or any of the guys, um, that I think that's still pretty cool. Like we were talking about before maybe we started the, this conversation here, you know, to go to those guys, um, and speak with them. Uh, that's part of the charm of the sport. You're like the sport's big and it's doing real well, but mm-hmm. it's still not that big where we're not right. connected to the guys. And, and what's good about the guys? They're all still pretty young, and and they're not like superstars, like a basketball player or a football. Right. So like they tend to they tend to wear their heart on their sleeves. They tend to uh, talk pretty
1: candidly. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes was- they talk. Yeah. Emotionally, yeah, yeah, we get that for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was texting with, with Chad yesterday. Obviously, we have a friendship that goes back, but uh, James and I text every now and then, Dungie, I could get, and these are all the biggest stars of the sport, you know. Um, now I was talking to Adam Wheeler, who has on track off road, of course. Um, yep. and he follows MotoGP, you know him well. Adam said that, like a Rossi or the big guys, they have their guys in the media also. Like, let's say Ch- let's Chad and I are close, but it's, we have a working relationship from when I was a mechanic. But, you know, I like to think that him and I have a pretty good relationship. And so I might be, let's say, his guy in the media or something that he, if sure. he wants to talk about. And Adam, but Adam was saying that Rossi, you know, these other guys, they have their small guys, usually from the same country, where they're from, Italian or Sp- Sp- Spain or whatever. Um, they still have some guys that they get to here and there. Um, so it's so it's as much as it's bigger and changed. it still, gets a little bit like, uh, you know, like Moto.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure, uh, for sure. Like you know, a lot of those guys, as you mentioned, if they come up in, you know, they come up in Italy or Spain, of mm-hmm. course, they're going to know guys, or journalists, or media people that they've been around since they're probably younger, and mm-hmm. and they're probably going to be more comfortable around guys like that. Um, you know, just like just like just like motocross, supercross in 2016. You know, we know some of you, me, I guess. Like mm-hmm. we know the some of the older riders pretty well, but some of the young guys, I, I don't know them that well. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and um, it's it's like anything else. It's yeah. just all relationships and yeah. and how well you know them. And um, but one thing, you know, you and I've talked about it before. One thing about our sport, supercross, motocross is that the guys really are really good guys. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't really think of a racer that I've worked with in, man, 20 years or whatever that I ever really had a problem with. They're all pretty damn good you, guys, you know. Did you
1: always, did you always uh, dig get along with Larry Ward? I, I didn't know Larry super well. Yeah, um, but he was always – okay. Yeah, but what you know, whenever I went to go work with
0: Larry, you know, whether it was a Supercross or if I was working on a story. Like I remember working on a story in particular with Larry at uh, Bud's Creek. No, no, Red Bud. Red mm-hmm. Bud when he won the first national ever on a four-stroke 250. Yeah. I remember that in particular. He was racing for the Moto Triple X team and and Larry Larry was cool. He was always really cool. I didn't know yeah. him super well. Right. Uh, he he was Larry, you
1: know, but Yeah, he um, he's uh, he had I I, I I get along with him fine. I was on his team and two at triple X the year after he won that moto, but I saw him, I saw him at times be prickly with media guys. And he's told me he doesn't like this guy. He doesn't want to talk to that guy. And it's nothing. That's his right. I'm not coming down on him. He was just a name that I pulled out of the, pulled out of the sky as a guy that could be difficult in our sport at times.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, there were some, you know, you, you, you'd, you know, you'd wait around for an hour for him after the race, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or some, as you probably know very well, sometimes it's much harder to get something out of a guy than, you know, yeah. this guy or that guy. Um, and, yeah, again, it's all, it's all relationships. You know, you try and treat them with respect and get them at a good time and, mm-hmm. and not ask maybe, you know, not ask silly questions. And I think for the most part everybody's pretty cool. You yeah,
1: know? yeah, exactly. Um, what are you working on now? What do you got going on without spilling the beans? You got anything cool coming up? Racer X-wise? Well, um, a lot. Basically, I'm kind of all over with the racing stuff
0: I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just—I don't know if this is answering your question, but like last weekend was all NASCAR. Right. Um, this weekend or this approaching week's a little bit light because nobody's racing this weekend. But um, you know, MotoGP um, is coming up. World Superbikes coming up with some things I'm doing there, and then motocross for sure. I've got a bunch of things in the works. I've actually, actually, um, you might like this. Jeff Emig came in and sat with me for about three hours last okay. week. Okay. Um and I'm working on something with him. I could let the cat out of the bag about his ninety about the ninety seven supercross season. And okay. I always thought it was awesome that Jeff won that championship and what his story was about mm-hmm. it. And like six, seven different guys won that year. Yeah. And, that's great. Uh, and uh, um, Jeff's take on it, as I expected, was really unique. And you know, I hadn't talked to Jeff in a little while, so to have him sitting here with me mm-hmm. and uh, his recollections on it and,
1: you know, his observations, it, it was really interesting. Really yeah. interesting. That yeah, it started with, I really, I mean, it's hard to say, but I was around as a mechanic back then. To me, uh, that was, championship was going to be Henry's on a Yamaha. He was killing Oh, yeah. It and uh, Button broke, landed on him at Houston and broke his hand. And, yep. um... You know, then it was going to be or then it was going to be uh, McGrath. So he started getting a little bit better, getting getting control of it, and then uh, and then Jeff came on. You know, midway, halfway on. So, and then really, people talk about that season. But Jeff's ride at Dallas in the mud was yep. cl- clutch. Like that, really put it put it uh, put it. You know, made it his title. In my opinion. Yeah well,
0: yeah, well, what we did is, like, I, I, I went into Cycle News Archives and I mm-hmm. printed out every race from that year, every yep. supercross race, and I laid them all out on this big table, and Jeff, J- Jeff and I just walked through each one, you oh, know, cool. one by one. Yep. And Jeff's one of those racers, again, you
1: know, you never know uh, if a racer is going to remember everything mm-hmm. or some yep. racers don't remember anything. Oh, no, I know, right? Like Bradshaw. Bradshaw doesn't really remember much.
0: Yeah, yeah, but like a, a fro, a Jeff, mm-hmm. he yeah. remembered everything, man. And anything we didn't exactly know, like we just read through the article, and he'd be right. able to pick it right back up. Um, but he talked a lot about that that Dallas race and mm-hmm. and his mindset going into it and why you know why it went his way and why that year uh went so well for him and, and even even afterwards we talked about like why the next year yeah.
1: the rest of his career didn't work out and yeah, you know, he fell Jeff, apart Jeff, that next year. It was brutal. It was unbelievable. Yeah, like Yeah, you know. yeah. Jeff talked about all that oh, stuff. And interesting. Cool.
0: I um Yeah, yeah, I know him well enough, and we go back far enough that, like, I knew if we sat down together and started talking that he'd, you know, (laughs) being Jeff,
1: he'd... uh, He'd open up. He'd tell us. Yeah,
0: yeah, precisely.
1: Precisely." Um, Yeah, I got a a 19... Oral History of the 93 Jimmy Gaddis title from Pro Circuit, and I always thought it was really interesting. It should be coming out, I don't know, hopefully soon. I don't know if it's magazine or online only. We'll try to figure it out, but basically... Um, you know, and I talked to Mitch about it one time, a long time ago, and it always stuck with me. The conversation was Honda drops them, you know, they kill it. Honda drops them, and there's really no support for him. Mark Johnson, at uh, who I talked to finally for the article. I don't know if I told you that, but I, I did. Oh, get, yeah, yeah, no, we've yeah. been talking about that. Yeah, awesome. I, got, I got Mark in there, and um, Mark Johnson pulls some strings, gets some 12 grand in parts, which they used before the season, got them, you know, 12 bikes or whatever, and like Mitch's mom, who does all the books and all the accounting still probably to this day, she told him like if this doesn't work out, you can't race in ninety four like there's yep. just not enough money there and you know, so, on a terrible bike with Jimmy Gaddis washed up Jimmy Gaddis, already you know his time had come and gone quote unquote um as this amateur kid from Suzuki, and Mitch goes on and wins the title with this kid, and I always Mitch was like, man, it was you know if it had gone bad, we might not have raced in ninety four and to me, I'm like, wow! The, the, the pro circuit juggernaut was on the fence, you know, in '93, whether it was going to be a go or a no go, and and uh, so I just thought ah, that's a really cool story. Filed it away, and geez, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, eight months ago, I picked it back back up, and I'm like, I'm going to do this story. So I got a hold of Mitch and Bones and Jimmy Perry, who was there, and Mike Hooker, and and uh, Phil Lawrence and Damon Huffman, two guys he battled for the title, and. Oh, it's just a real cool story i finally got a hold of gaddis he was i couldn't get a hold of him forever and uh yeah so i'm i'm pumped on that i think it was uh, i think was gonna be pretty good yeah, I know you
0: and I had talked about that like before the season even started yeah. and I know that you were on top of it and I remember us talking like what a cool idea it was to do that story and I've you know, I've heard bits and pieces of that story along the way, like you know, Mitch Payton leaving Honda and basically right. telling me he was basically crying on the way home. You know, like <laughs> no. what happened to his team and, and Gaddis, like I know Mitch Peyton has a real soft spot for Gaddis, and for that particular year, because mm. like you're saying, like that—that that, I didn't know that
1: backstory. I didn't know it was that, you know, yeah. that uh, hand-to-mouth, so to speak. Yeah, and yeah. And the split fire thing—I don't think was a huge deal, but it's, it's interesting how he got the split fire, or not, not split fire. Sorry, Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels was that right. year. Um I sent you the story, right? You read it. I, I don't. No, I don't think. Uh, I don't think you sent it to me yet. You, yeah. you were going to. I think but I did. I, I haven't seen it yet. But no, I did send it to you. You read it. You said you need to get Mark Johnson in it. That's what you told me pretty sure. I don't know. I'll send it to you again. But um cuz you were the one who said hey, you really got to get Mark Johnson in this. Yeah, thing.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, I
1: remember you sent it. it was still pretty rough when you sent it, yes, it was still yes. bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's why I remember like seeing you shortly thereafter. I'm like, "Steve, that story looks awesome and yeah.
1: um what a great idea and uh I I yeah, really interesting. I, I really these oral histories I I've read some things about them and they're more and more popular. I saw them in Grantland, I see them on magazines and I, you've done a few of them. You did one on McGrath 98. Um, title, you also did one I think on the Designations, or maybe that was Davy. but I've read that they're lazy ways to write stories. They're they're for lazy <laughs> writers. And in a sense, that's right. It is true. It it's maybe perhaps a lazy way. I don't even transcribe. You know, I pay a girl to transcribe for me. So but but on the other hand, like I love them. I I when I see one in a magazine or online about anything about a rock band, about um, you know a racing series, about a, a sports team, I can't get enough of them because these are the words and the stories from the guys themselves. And so yeah, I, I don't really like the fact that it's quote unquote lazy writing, EJ. But I, I love the format. I love it. Well, I think there's a
0: time and a place for everything, you know. And what you're talking about right now, I, I actually have a, a real world example like. You know, when I was younger and in college and once I got out of college and moved to, to Los Angeles here, my all time favorite band was, um <clears throat> The Replacements. Mm-hmm. I went to go see them quite a few times in the Midwest and obviously when I was out here in California and, uh, a book was just released, um, Called uh, Trouble Boys. Okay, uh, it's like a 600-page book about the whole thing, about the whole history. And it, it's the, one of the best books I've ever read. Right, I, mean, I read unbelievable. the unbelievable, yeah, and
1: I read an ESPN book and an MTV book just on Saturday Night Live, all about oral yeah. histories,
0: and I love
2: yeah. them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and where I'm going with that is yeah. that this book
0: wasn't was more a narrative, a classic narrative book. But then, like, there's been there was another book on the replacements done a few years ago, which was all oral history. Oh, okay. And I read right. that one too. And to, to your point, like, there's a place for both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, because people like can tell these anecdotes a little bit more in detail if, if it's more of a oral history. So yeah I, a I,
1: place for both. Yeah. I I like both too. Yeah, I, 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 I get that people say you know it's lazy and it's. But goddamn, I love it, EJ. <laughs> so yeah, well, uh, you know, okay. like to me, I think it's great. Like I, you know, you do have to put these things into timeline as an author, and you have to put them in to make sense and and to clarify the story. So there is some, quote unquote, writing skills to them. But I'd rather read something like this, um, than uh, you know, than a traditional book. And in in many cases, I, I like I said, ESPN, MTV, uh, Saturday Night Live, oral histories, uh, some of my favorite stuff I've ever read. So anyways. Yeah, I'm pumped to uh, to have it out there. And then, you know, it was a good job by you to say get Mark Johnson in it because he was leading Team Green at the time. And Mitch's support did not come from Factory Cowie, it came from Team Green. Um, yeah. You know, which at the time was sort of competing against uh, uh, Factory Cowie. So. Yeah, I remember, like, Mitch telling me
0: the the story about it somewhere along the way, and he said, like, he called over to Mark, and Mark's budgets for 93 were all done. Everything was all done. He had no hope. And Mark said, you know, basically, hey, Mm -hmm. let me see what I can, like, let me just see what I could pull out of thin air. Let me see what (laughs) we can do. Because I think somebody like Mark, who I I really – I really admire a lot like mm-hmm. mark did a, a long uh spell in car racing too so right. he's definitely a, a well-rounded guy worldly guy with racing and i always thought that you know mark understood the value of mitch's program and and what it could be and what it ended up being mm-hmm. for kawasaki i mean that was kind of the, the right. footprint for for professional team green you know yeah, it really
1: was it really was um yeah right from peak on today you know um just how mitch came out with the with the uniforms and the the Yep. It just changed everything. It changed, you know, just about everything. And even, you know, Honda tried to do that with the wearing everybody make Fox or wearing making everybody wear Fox for a while. Yamaha and everybody had a team deal with Fox. It was all because Mitch Payton made the team look like a, like a sports team, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, Mitch, Mitch is another guy. To this day you know heavily influenced by car racing mm-hmm. and uh, he had told me various times you know in the past or recent recent past mm-hmm. that like he wanted that look he wanted that he wanted a NASCAR kind of look or an IndyCar car kind of look where the the uniforms matched the bike mm-hmm. matched you know like he, he yeah. liked that and that 's what he was inspired or influenced by and yeah I think that's gone a long
1: way in the sport hasn 't it yeah no I think so um, another thing that uh, I did recently was uh, uh, built a nice 1988, why is he 250? Could have got Glover to ride it. Could have got Bradshaw to ride it. He was on the team late that year. But I, I thought I instantly thought of Diamond, Mickey Diamond. He was, you know, obviously a two-time national champion, got signed to a deal with Yamaha. He was, you know, kind of the next guy, right? Everyone was saying he's oh, going to yeah. be the guy. And his gear, his answer, pink and white and black gear, and the numbers that Ron Heaven made for him. To me, like, he was rock and roll back then, right? Obviously hanging out with Motley Crue and all that. So, anyways... Long story short, so Mickey comes out last week and rides the bike. Now, I've done a, long, a long-form a long podcast with him that's maybe four or five years old, and uh, I hadn't talked to him much since then, but he came out, and, and he's a great guy, but let to talk about somebody that's different. I don't know how much you have to do have you ever dealt with Mickey much, EJ? Oh yeah, yeah. When oh, okay. back in back
0: in like maybe the first four or five, six years of, of Racer X, I can think of a couple stories uh Mickey and I did together. Okay. I remember one early on, we had him and Brock Glover both ride uh C R one twenty fives, new C R. one twenty fives, and we kinda told the backstory on their careers and right. stuff. And then Mickey and I had done another story um along the way just on his career and they actually I could I, Mickey and I are friends. Like he's definitely like a friend of mine, and just uh, just a A plus guy. He's just like you would think he'd be, just a genuinely nice guy. Another guy that's kind of like worldly, like knows but, there's other things out there besides just racing. You well, know? Yeah.
1: Well, my question was to you was like, how different is he, huh, from a normal motocrosser? No wonder why back then maybe the media and you know media being MXA and you know maybe right. motocross magazine or whatever. He's he's so much more than a typical motocross racer. Like people may think like, oh, he sounds like he's stoned or out of it or whatever. He's just a he's a thinker. He's a different type of guy. Um, And he looks at things differently. And I think that, you know, I can see where he didn't fit into the culture of motocross racing back then. It's almost weird how he got into motocross racing. He's a different dude. Yeah,
0: yeah, sometimes you come across the guy like that, which is which is actually really a yeah. good thing, you yeah, know, yeah, just sure. because you're a driven athlete, whether you're a, a supercross racer or you're a you know, a football player or, or whatever you may be, doesn't mean that like you can't Mm -hmm. look at other things out there like you gotta there's other things out there like you know um, whether it's entertainment or music or science or i mean there's so much like so much stuff out there and and sometimes maybe it's good not to be a one-dimensional person maybe it is good to to try and experience other things or learn other things or be influenced by other things is Um,
1: there is there another guy that you've dealt with that reminds you a little bit of mickey and the way he was and is there somebody now hmm well i know
0: a lot of them like the racing the car racing and and things like that mm-hmm. um you know a young guy that, that actually is a worldly guy in my opinion is the guy over in europe representing us right now is thomas covington oh, okay yeah um thomas is a real smart Young guy, you know, mm-hmm. decided to go to to do GP motocross because he could probably get a life experience out of it, too. Yep. You know, he loves music. He reads books. I was talking to him not long ago about that movie uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I watched that movie. And I'm like, I'm not going to like that movie. Why would anybody watch that movie? Right, you know? right. And uh, I, I sat there and watched it one night, and I was like, damn, that movie was really
1: good. I've and, never uh, seen it. I just saw bits and pieces of it. Yeah, I've never wa- watched it. Yeah, I'm just like
0: really a fan of the music business and, mm-hmm. and you know, all that kind of history and whatnot and, and so is Thomas, you know, and Thomas plays guitar, plays musical instruments, reads, oh, wow. loves okay. history. Yeah, yeah, You know, he'll I'll get questions from him sometimes where, you know, about you know, he'll be talking about World War Two and being over in, you know, in Europe, certain parts of Europe where you can still see some of that stuff and yeah, yeah, there's no, guys cool. out there. No, yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah. For some reason, I've you know I know him. Yeah, yeah, came right to the top of my head. But I think that's awesome. You yeah. know, he can love motocross his whole life, but it's always good to have some other things maybe to um, you know to have going on in your well, life. And I, I think that's why Davey Coombs and I are always such good friends and are still such good friends. We share a lot of uh, the same interests that are
1: pretty far outside the racing world. You know? Yeah, yeah. I went to. Um I'm not, I don't think I'm as worldly as you in DC and Covington sounds awesome too. Like he sounds like he's into that. Cause when you talk to Mickey, like he's a great guy, he wrote a book. He's It's not out yet, but it's coming out. And, um, you know, he did the race across America on a bicycle and then he did Pike's oh, yeah. peak and like, he's just a, he's a really nice down to earth worldly guy that to me doesn't fit a lot of the athletes that I've dealt with over the years, either as a mechanic or as a, as a media guy. And, it was awesome. It was cool to 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 talk to the guy. But anyways, um, yeah, talking getting a little talking a little bit of history. Um, you know, for the destinations last year, I got to go to uh, uh, the beach, Omaha Beach, and all those yep. um those um places out there uh, where D Day was not D Day, yeah D Day. Um, yep, it was phenomenal. I just I just you just stand there. And you look out and you just can't even imagine what was going on. And uh real part real cool part of my gig is I got to go see all that and, and Point Du Hoc and, and and everything else. So Oh yeah, I mean
0: everything has a history, you
1: know. Right. Like when I uh when I went to college I didn't know what I wanted to do, I had,
0: figured out that I'd probably be a pretty good history major. And my dad was like, ah, you can't do that. You can't find a job with a history major. But um, anyway, you know, yeah. that's what I decided to do. And, and like I said, everything has a history. It's applicable to everything. Like last night, I was just sitting I got home from work and turned the TV on. I don't watch much TV. And mm-hmm. this uh, documentary comes on about Steve McQueen and making the movie Le Mans back in 1970. I saw, I, I and I'm I like, I sat yeah. there for
1: two hours. I didn't even move, you know, just to watch a history on something like that is yeah. just, just unreal yeah it's it's really neat and it's cool that some of our jobs some of our things for our job ej have taken us to these places you know and you'd be able to to tie it all in, into covering a motorcycle race but we're pretty lucky that way absolutely absolutely uh, and, and and motocross to me has the best history of all i know huh? there's when you look at some of those tracks and some of those races and things like that has happened over the years you're just like wow um Yeah. That's why the the Cycle Lose archives are just terrific, just amazing. (laughs) Oh, I can lose a whole day in there, no problem, dude. Even just pulling old win ads, I can lose a day. Yeah, really, right? I miss those things, man. They were so good back then. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all the ad agencies,
0: um, they were good at it. I used to hang those on the wall, uh, right. you know, when I was a young guy growing up in Ohio in my room. And as fate would have it, when I moved out to Los Angeles, I ended up working for Yamaha's former ad agency, and the guy who who designed all those and worked on all those, named Lee Clow. So, wow. so uh,
1: he was the one that came up with all the uh, all oh, the slogans yeah. and everything and all that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yamaha was cutting edge on all those cool Yamaha ads in, in projects they worked on back in the 70s and that stuff was really cool I, I mean, mean to this day I look at that stuff and I'm like man that's like that's really like that's I know. badass advertising I you know, know.
1: I, w- I, wish it, I wish it was still there I wish print was as strong as it used to be and we could still see those things that could time yeah. into movies and time into everything they were so great um, yeah, yeah, hey speaking a little bit about history and uh, the GPs right now um, I'm sure you've been following them two rounds down I think Vulcan Squad is this weekend right um, yep. What would you make of BT's BT 101's comments? Uh, one thing about Ben Townley, he uh, keeps it interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it surprised me. Um, I I didn't you know know anything about it, and um, I had watched um, I'd watched a couple of those races on TV um, on CBS that that you know next day when they air them and i saw ben did pretty good and i think it was a little bit later in the day i went on um the racer x site and i saw um uh, the thing with ben and in the comments that he made and yeah yeah that was uh <laughs> you know when you're when you're a racer um at that level a professional at that level like you know it's it's a fine line where maybe you wanna you wanna you know display or, or, or articulate your thoughts but like you know when people from the government and from the city and and what have you were all there on hand and you know you say you know you say things like that it can it can make things a little bit tough you know maybe maybe something should be said uh you know more in private or as a sidebar or something but you know, Ben's been at it a long time, man. He's world he's world champ. You yeah. know, he he could have I, been a
1: champion a number of times, so he has a right to say what he wants too. Um, I've I've had some run ins with Ben though where I haven't been super pumped uh interview wise. Where I'm like, yeah. Oh,
0: okay, all right, Ben. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, uh, I worked with Ben pretty closely, maybe mm, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Okay. Yeah, about seven, eight years ago, and he always seemed cool, but he could, he could definitely go into his own zone. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, uh, a
1: little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. Did you? And how again, about how about, go, and how about Giuseppe Luongo coming out and saying that when riders do shit, he doesn't come out and, and blast them for their performance? Yeah, was, yeah, I read that too. Uh, you it was know, high drama. Like,
0: yeah. yeah, from what I could gather, it got pretty emotional on, on both sides of that conversation, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Giuseppe uh you know, must have been pretty, uh, pretty upset to right. to, um, to to voice uh, his, you know, that feedback that he did. But man, you know, if I was running that series and I had all those people there, as I said, you know, dignitaries and the right. government and local government, man, that that'd be tough to have. You know, well. tough to uh, hear something like that and
1: then have to go talk with those people. It'd be pretty gnarly. At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015. When you order, you can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right. Back to the show. Michelin tires are back people, MichelinMotorcycle.com, Michelin StarCross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is it a fancy marketing term or what?
2: No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is, even from the previous version of the MH3, it it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. And it's more comfort. So it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the the CCT. So tell me
1: the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension in tires.
2: Yeah. Obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort.
1: Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires. Um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Well, right. oh, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelins uh, pretty easy, actually.
2: Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best. So mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage. And normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit. But this, uh, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on.
1: Four versions of this tire, they cover all the uses. Key for reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting traction handling. They do it all. StarCross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out at the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing well i mean i don't feel they should be there in the first place if you ask me if my opinion um, yeah you know, yeah, like, you know
0: that's, uh, that's that's a good argument, you know some of those races are pretty far off the beaten path, man, like you you're not, you know, not selling car, I can kinda of understand because uh you know f one goes there and moto g p goes there and it's a, you know they have a great racing culture there and right. Um so you know that 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 those if F1's there, MotoGP's there, World Superbikes there, well motocross here, you know having motocross there is awesome. Um and then the Thailand race, yeah that one's a little bit tough. Like I watched that race last year how hot it was and you know I love G P motocross, I really do. And especially the European Grand Prix races. You know, that's what I grew up with. That that's what I was a fan of when I was a young guy at first. But to like you know, when I turned on that you know, I'm just being honest. When I turned on the Thailand race and watched it on C B S it looked like it looked like Elsinore. <laughs> yeah, you know?
1: it really did, didn't it? It really did.
0: Yeah, and that's no disrespect <laughs> because now they're going to go to the Valkenswaard uh, on Monday, and yeah. I mean that dark sand. I've been to that race with my buddy Stefan before, and I think Villeman was racing then, and Pichon and all those guys, Marnique Bravo, and I mean that's classic European motocross. Yeah, uh, that's that's just, uh, that's just unbelievably cool to me to this day.
1: Yeah, so. I agree. Did you uh, did you talk to your buddy Stefan after BT's? Uh, Oh, burst! I didn't. I haven't talked oh, okay. to
0: Stefan uh, since the season started. He's he's been real busy with the Suzuki team and all that. But I I did hear that uh, you know I did hear that uh, Giuseppe
1: definitely maybe <laughs> sought him out and said, hey, you know, we yeah. can't be having this. Right? So, wow! But yeah. I mean, why? What do you mean we can't be having this? I know what you're saying. Not you saying that. I'm saying Giuseppe saying that like. Yeah, we can. We can absolutely have this. You know what I mean? It, we're we're the show. If we have strong opinions, we can voice them to the press. Um, you know, because vo- I, I see no problem with that. I see no problem with Ryan Dungey coming out tomorrow and speaking. You know, Ricky Carmichael blasted Unadilla years ago. Just blasted them. Remember that press yeah, conference? Yeah, I remember that. Um, I got no problem with that. I got no issues with that because that's how you get things out in the open and how you get dialogue started and everything else. So I got no issues with the rider. As long as if that's his true opinion, then then let it have it. Let let everybody have it. You know, Carl yeah. Michael,
0: no, it's a good point. Yeah. You know, I mean, even even today, I saw some news. Um, you know, in the international media about for the Formula One drivers are so fed up with the number of different things that they mm-hmm. actually uh, went to F One and the governing body. I think it was today and oh, said, wow. "Look, things yeah. things got to change." You know, so mm-hmm. you know whether it's Moto GP or or even NASCAR uh, and obviously motocross, like. If uh, if the majority feels something's wrong or something isn't working out or mm-hmm. needs to be addressed, then
1: it's probably a healthy thing to get it on you know above the mm-hmm. table and 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 at least talk about it. Right. Who was a guy in when you were more covering the sport, f- you know, full time, and you still go to him like we said. Maybe, and maybe this accounts for today, but was there a guy, EJ, that you just could never connect with um, as a journalist or as a guy writing about riders or? Was there somebody who was a tough nut to kind of crack and get to know and get get honest quotes from?
0: Uh, boy, I had pretty good luck. You know, <laughs> think, thinking back on it, like, most everybody I worked with was actually pretty good. You know, some yep. guys, like, you kind of had to earn their trust a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, maybe earn their friendship a little bit uh, to get more out of them. But, um Man, they were all they were all really good guys. Um uh, I really can't think, you know, Ezra Lusk was a little bit tough at first just cuz mm-hmm. he was so he was just that's his personality, yeah, his pretty, nature, but shy, right? he yeah. ended he ended up being just fine, being great. Mm-hmm. Um and uh Doug Henry was maybe a little bit maybe a little bit cold at first, but mm-hmm. not uh, he ended up being another guy, just one of my favorite guys I worked with. Um trying to think um Trying to think of anybody else that, um, yeah, anybody. You know, again, yeah. Like we were saying earlier, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just they're all so different that um, you just got to maybe figure them out a little bit and, and figure out the best way to, to get what you can out of them. Yep. Um, there's somebody on the tip of my tongue I'm thinking about. I can't remember who it is. Oh well, I'll just be honest. Like um, I think Ryan Villopoto is an awesome rider in, in mm-hmm. and in a you know. Obviously, a four-time Supercross champion, multi-time champion, but he was always a little tougher to get stuff out of. Right. I mean, when you when you'd get to him and you'd start talking to him, ninety percent of the time it was great, but yeah. there were times I felt a little uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> trying to like track him down and, yeah. um, you know, put a tape recorder in his face and hey, and, and
1: that was and that was things for Monster, most likely, you know what I mean, which is like a big part of his salary. Yeah, uh, yeah, and- but. You
0: know, I guess I want to just stress that any time I did get to talk to him, he was great, and he's a really good guy. It's just his nature. He's just a little more reserved. That's, wow. I guess that's all yeah. I'm saying.
1: Hey, I know. Believe me, I know him well. I run that truck a ton. Um, <laughs> when, I turned the yeah. in, when I turned the recorder on and asked him about things, I yeah. wouldn't get much, and I turned the recorder off, and he'd hit me in the balls with a crescent wrench yeah. and laugh and and, and and start dropping F-bombs left and right uh yeah. on, on, about people and things in the sport and i'm just like really so i know yeah he's he wasn't and i had a lot of media guys tell me like man how do you get stuff out of him and i'm like i don't know i guess he knows me a little bit but even then he yeah mm-hmm. I don't, he just wasn't yeah like i remember i asked him one time dude do you understand like four supercross titles and where you're at in the history of the sport blah 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 and he honestly he could care less he could really care less he was like yeah, yeah, whatever. McGrath was good. Yeah. I don't, I don't care if I beat him and wins. I don't I don't you know what I mean? Like all this you are that's like really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you
0: know, my, my biggest thrill in all this stuff Steve has been like, you know, those guys from the 80s, you yeah. know, the early to mid 80s, um, yeah. late 80s. Yeah, like but guys like Ron Lachine and certainly my friend Johnny O'Meara and David right. Bailey and Jeff Stanton and and certainly Jeff Ward, um, You know, be able to to know those guys now and and uh to be friends with them and um, uh, genuine friends, you know. Uh, It just blows, it blows, it kind of blows my mind to this day. You know, I'll sit there like looking at old old cycle news articles or old Mm -hmm. magazines and still be like, man, I can't believe I know these guys, you know, like um, not so much uh, I'm in awe of them. You know, anymore since I'm older, but just like yeah. what they did, in my opinion, it was just just so awesome. Well, you, you know, I you, saw David Bailey at in San Diego. I had talked to him a little while. You know, just talk yeah. about a worldly guy. There's a worldly guy right there, David Bailey. David yeah. Bailey could probably be good at anything he wanted to
1: do. I feel like yeah. Bailey, like Bailey, moves in and out of loving Moto and then dropping out. Like I don't see him much around. Then he's around a few times, and you know, obviously he's got a lot of things going on in his own life and everything else, but. I don't. I don't. You don't see him a lot. You don't talk to him a lot. And then he all of a sudden shows up, and you're like, "Oh, hey, David Bailey," you know? Um, Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. And then there's Dogger. Then there's Dogger, who's there every every week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That guy. You know, when it comes to
0: telling a story or articulating himself or or history or riding or racing or even just maybe general life stuff, that guy. That guy is. He's just a. He's just an A plus guy, in my opinion, on every level. Yeah, I, I, I think. I think that guy's awesome.
1: And then you talk about guys that don't know much, like Bradshaw doesn't remember a whole lot, isn't isn't yep. doesn't have a whole lot for you about his racing career. Great guy, but just, you know, isn't one of those guys. Then you do a story with Dogger and he literally tells you where <laughs> where he put that sticker on his helmet and what sticker oh, yeah. was bitching and and how he always wanted that helmet or this color combo of gear and he got it from John Gregory the week before and he was saving it like you're just like wow like Dogger for as much as substances his dog are, as Dogger has admittedly consumed in his life, his memory is incredible. It's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Another guy, I think, the world of. Yeah. Um, yeah he's... But, yeah, you know, you know else is like that? Like Carmichael's like that. Stefan's definitely like oh, that. Oh, is he really, huh? Um, uh, Jeremy's like that. Yeah. Um, Yep. McGrath's pretty good. You're right. And the one I've seen, you know, I haven't been around him a ton, but from what I've, you know, little, I have been and things I've seen and things people tell me is, is Valentino Rossi is like the most uh, from, what i 'm told and what I can kind of see just
1: oh really huh? incredible
0: yeah. photographic memory on everything right, The I was right. at Laguna Seca one year and they had like all two hundred wins had some crazy amount of wins he had, mm-hmm. and they had pictures of everything. He went through and like recounted stories from like every one of them. It was wow. crazy
1: yeah that 's nuts. Um, has there been a story that you 've wanted to do or that you 've done? gotten halfway in and couldn't get a guy to talk about it, couldn't get a hold of a guy, couldn't find a guy, um, and you kind of had to shelve it?
0: No, no, not – I've never – I've never had to give up, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, You've always made maybe it, that, make it work. Yeah, yeah. And there's been times, especially when I was a little bit younger, like I remember one story in particular was, remember Team TAM? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that whole story. I think it was like in the third or fourth issue of Racer X, and I must have contacted 50, tw- 15 to 20 people on that, and I couldn't get the TAMs um, uh, on the phone, you know, the two the man and the woman who well, ran that was it team. George,
1: was it George, I think?
0: Yeah, 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 and I just, I just wouldn't give up on it, you know. And then we finally found them. And um, it, I, I looked at that story not too long ago, and <clears throat> that's a pretty amazing story. Not not because I like I wrote it or anything, just like, the, the history of like yeah. how they put that team together and how the money ran out and they ended up in Vegas with a suitcase of money, and it's just
1: crazy, <laughs> you know. Um yeah, well and you know, we talk about the, the Mitch Payton thing earlier about the peak thing. Oh, well yeah. Tam was actually kinda of the first. You oh, know, yeah. These guys all wore HRP or whatever kind of gear it was, and uh, oh, they yeah. all had the yeah. same look,
0: you know what I mean? M- M- you know, as fate would have it, Mitch is the one who got me hooked up with that guy. Mitch remembered where he was. Mitch was telling me this story. like <laughs> They had like some kind of pro-circuit Christmas party at the Riverside Mall, and uh, he'd run into George Quay. I think that was his name. He'd be drinking in the bar there, and Mitch would run into him, and <clears throat> man, it, <laughs> it was it was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I did also, too, uh, a podcast a little while ago with Mike Healy, and I uh, got that you did a feature oh, yeah. a, a while ago. Now, since yep. you did that feature, I think you ran into some more problems. But uh, now he's cutting hair, and he sounds yep. great. He was uh, he was really nice to talk to, and I've talked to him a little bit since then, since the podcast. And can you believe Mike Healy, the guy with the hair, is a barber? Yeah, I mean, again,
0: <laughs> you know, a guy that maybe you know needed to find something outside of racing to to focus, you know, yeah. find. Focus in something or put his attention to and, mm-hmm. and maybe take all that stuff from racing and you know that desire and that will and, and put it towards something healthy you know right, and right. Uh, and I think uh, last time I talked to him a couple months ago, maybe a month ago yeah um, and uh, he was really into it he was really proud of it yeah, uh, yeah that's cool he, I think he's been doing really good with it and yeah yeah he was uh, he was, Mike was a good like uh you know definitely good, sincere, genuine guy that you know ran into some problems around the way along the way, which you know, yeah, many of us do, um, and and has seemingly been able to
1: sort them out. So a guy like that, you know, you wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, sure. you, you've seen, a, you know, Austin Stroop got arrested uh, last week, yeah. and um, uh, there was something else. Oh, Scott Sheik also ran into some troubles, and it's it um it happens in our sport. I think it happens in every sport, but it's a smaller community in our sport, and I think a yep. little bit of it has to do with the reason you ride motorcycles. The reason you ever get on a motorcycle whether it's off-road or street is because you're a little bit of a rebel. You're a little bit a yeah. different dude. And you're a little bit into adrenaline. And it's uh you know, it's a great drug, adrenaline, and it's fun and I think that that le- the sport lends itself to extreme addictive rebellious personalities. Um do you agree? Yeah, on some levels I do. Um you know, uh to
0: to to be a motocross fan or to want to ride or or maybe be involved in a lot of sports that are that are more dangerous or where you can mm-hmm. get hurt and you do get hurt, yeah, I think you've gotta be a little bit different absolutely yeah, yeah I think so and then, and then you know our sport like you know one of the one of the dangerous things about our sports is you know you have to start so young and be noticed when you're so young and good when you're so young that when it's over um which you know. Only a handful really make it, make yeah. a living at it. Yeah. You know, you're done at such a young age. What are you going to do? You know, uh, you're 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 out of school or or you were homeschooled. Um, you know, do you have a skill set? Do you have any type of vocational training? You know, what do you have? Yeah. Most cases, these guys are done in their mid to late twenties. And and what do you have? And, and that's a crucial po- uh, point in anybody's life. You know, like yeah. Um, all right. And and you know how it is when 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 you maybe don't have something going on or you know you've put all of everything you've had into something you're basically your whole life and now you have nothing going on. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that. Sometimes that can lead itself to some some negative things, you know. I, I mean, I know, I know. Even for myself, like, if I'm not kept busy or or if I mm, idle hands, mm-hmm. or, or the worst thing for me is boredom. <laughs>
1: it's not good. <laughs> right, it really is right. isn't good, man. Um. Yeah, and that's a whole other topic that I don't want really to get into. But I, I hate. Yeah. I don't like the way our sport is skewing younger and younger. It's terrible, and there's no governing body to nobody to look after this thing you know geico at one time uh red dog ferry came out of loretta's as the winningest rider ever and was a privateer for two years um yeah. at one time robbie renard was a highly touted team green kid and went into a factory truck that's all well and good uh then geico steps up you know half a dozen years ago starts helping kids out when they're 14 15 with full bikes and full teammates and they graduate onto the pro team Then someone goes and grabs a 13-year-old. Then a kid grabs a 12-year-old. Now we're at 11-year-olds are getting over $100,000 in in gear contracts. And everyone's trying to one-up and get the next kid. And I get that. Professional racing is a a sport where you want to lock down these kids. But it is getting worse and worse. There's more and more amateur races all the time. There's more and more money going to the kids. And guys like Chisholm or Kyle Cunningham or Matt Lemoyne, if you come in and you don't make it, quote-unquote, within two years, they're on to the next 14-year-old and d- devoting uh, uh, money and product and attention to that 14-year-old, thinking that it's going to pay off down the road, but they could end up just being another Chisholm or, quote-unquote, LeMoyne, uh, it pisses me off, EJ. I don't know how how we're going to stop this. And, and also, too, by enabling these kids and getting them younger and younger, when failure strikes in pro class, be it injury – Be it ineffectiveness, it goes back to what you were saying. Maybe they can't handle it. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think we got a problem and I don't know how to stop it. Um, But what do you think? What's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, those are all really good points and observations that you bring up you know i think uh the sport's so competitive now and and probably the bottom line is everybody wants to win so badly you know whether it's a motorcycle manufacturer or or it's an energy drink or it's a clothing company right everybody wants to win so badly that um they're going to They're going to go find the talent, you know, like I watch other sports like, you know, look at like football and like these Nike programs for all these young kids and and these Nike XYZ programs for basketball kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at figure skating families or tennis families like, I don't know, I was talking to a good friend of mine about this the other day where it seems like it's almost like you're all in. And trying to make your dream <laughs> yeah. in these sports or or you're not. Like and boy, I tell you who really has um who really has um an interesting perspective on all this is, is Ricky Carmichael. Mm-hmm. You know. If you talk with if you talk with Ricky and um you know, their their desire to make it as a family, um, you know, it it Cost probably them. Ricky yeah. would probably tell you the same thing, could have went either way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um But it worked out for Ricky, and we know why. Yeah, Uh, no. How great he was. But, like, it doesn't work out for most people. No. You know, so it's... What you're saying is gnarly. Um, I just and one yeah. thing I'm just going to be honest about, like you know, since I'm up on my soapbox here, is like the whole the homeschooling sk- thing. That's just got to go, man. Uh, that, yeah, that's yeah. just got to yeah. go. That's yeah. just. Part of I get the, reason. the sense. Yeah. I get the sense that some of these parents or some of these, not all of them, but some of them, some of these kids, like they're proud that they're homeschooled.
1: Really, like, you think that? Yeah, you think that? You think you get some of that? Yeah, yeah. 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 I just. I mean, I think it happens in other sports too. I should say that. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, there's, I read Andre Agassi's uh, biography, and uh, he was shipped off to a tennis academy in Florida, 13, 14 years old, with 20 other 13, 14 year olds. You know what I mean? And they all lived together, and only Andre and a few of them made it. You know, the other kids probably never did. Um, So it goes on in all sports. But like, I don't understand why. uh, And let's just pull a company out of the air Fox, okay? Fox presents this podcast, and I don't, I'm not speaking of them in a bad way, but Fox. You know, okay, let's Kyle Chisholm, okay, who's a 10th to 15th place guy in the 450 class uh, in the stadiums uh, at the Nationals every week. He's not going to win, but he's going to do well. He's going to place well. He's a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Fox or any company has already written Kyle Chisholm off, okay? They're like, he's not going to, he's not our guy. He's not going to get results. Meanwhile, let's devote X amount of money to these amateur kids that. Again, have as much much less, has less odds than Kyle Chisholm of making it because you know Kyle Chisholm at least at some point has made it. I hate to bring Fox and Kyle Chisholm up, but it's an example. And right. you know, like, why don't we? Why don't these companies, be it Fox, be it the OEMs, be it the the gear comms, look at a Kyle Chisholm and, a, and a, or a Lemoyne who's quit the sport now and appreciate these guys for what they are and give them help because they are really at the pro level and really putting in good results. Because we don't know how fast the guy like Chisholm or Lemoyne is, or these other dudes, um, but instead it's like the industry shuns them and goes to the next young hot kid who really yeah. doesn't have much of a chance of making it any more than Chisholm or Lemoyne does. Right, right. right. Because there's yeah, very elite. There's a very elite few kids. You know, a Cincerillo, a James Stewart, and obviously Adams had had a little rough patch here, but you know he's basically really fast and hopefully pulls it together. But I don't like it, man. I just and then. You know so these companies are to blame as much as anybody is and there's no one to govern these guys there's no one to to regulate how much bikes and gear and money goes out to the door to these kids and parents and I'm just ah it gets me going EJ Yeah it's a it's a survival of the
0: of the fittest type deal It like is right Darwinism, yeah. Darwinism type thing where the, the strong survive and I know. the others Fall by the wayside, but you know, like I like we talked about earlier, like everybody's just everybody wants to win so bad, yep. And you know these companies all have big investments, and not only in the riders, but like you know the the clothing and the equipment that they sell. That mm-hmm. you know they they need a guy winning to sell their stuff too. So it it, it
1: runs pretty deep. No, um, and and the flip side of everything I just said is the fast survive and if you're yep. not fast you won't survive and in a sense like you said darwinism at its best and that's yep. the flip side hey it's wide open it's 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 the it's the wild west and um you're all going for a lottery ticket is really what it works out to be you know? Yeah, well only one guy
0: can win. You know? Yeah, like yeah. only one guy can be a champion. Only only a few are ever going to be champions, only a few are ever going to make a living at it. But you know, if it was easy or it was really easy to do it, like yeah. anybody would the, do it. So. The McGrath
1: the McGrath Jeremy McGrath story is uh, perhaps never going to happen again. Probably not. No. no probably not. <laughs> the Trampus Parker story will probably never happen again. Probably not <laughs> so, uh, and I like those things. I like the fact that jeff stanton or 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 Jeremy McGrath can kind of come out of nowhere and become champions, yeah. you know, so yeah, um anyways, uh, what else, what else do you want to talk about um I, I've vented enough here uh dr osho much hows how's he doing with Jeremy and everything? They're obviously coming off a a rough rough race there, but um
0: he's i don't you know I haven't talked to him in a, in a little while um he um you know i talked to him through text and th- all that stuff you know i talked to him and jeremy just as the season was getting started and i know they were really happy after the daytona race mm-hmm. um and uh, i'll see johnny uh if i have it right i think i see johnny friday night for for some um uh, um for something so it's um he uh sorry i lost my train of thought yeah, no worries. There, you're busy uh, you're working yeah he um I don't know. i look forward to catching up with him. Hey, he's he's my buddy. You know, he loves to ride his
1: mountain bike. He and, does he ever? Uh, com- yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, competing competing the events. And I know he I know he really really likes working with Jeremy uh, a ton. Mm-hmm. I know he brings up all the time that he's a he's a Carmichael like character and Carmichael you know Carmichael like desire and determination. And I think that uh, I think they're looking at. Uh, you know, next year being their big 450 year, and I and I don't know the ins and outs, I don't know the details, but I think they have some real good uh, contracts sorted out for next year too. Yeah,
1: I hear uh, that too. Yeah, RCH is the word on the street, and uh, and Cooper Webb's going to go. Yamaha's the word of the street, so we're getting another yeah. another great yeah, graduation class. You know?
0: Yeah, I, it's you know, it's sounding like you know a lot of people really think highly of uh, the two the two racers you just mentioned. You know, Cooper yep. and. Uh, And Jeremy, and, uh, you know, obviously there's a bunch of other guys out there, too. Again, going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, like... (laughs) You yeah. Just never really know how it's going to pan out, you know. Like even like Ken Roxon this year, he had a rough year last year, and um, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I wonder if he's, you know, wonder if he's going to be a champion one day, and yeah. kind of wrote him off in the back of my head. And mm-hmm. I've been watching him this year, and he's, I think he's been awesome. He's won races, he's up front, he's consistent. Like that guy's, that guy's an ace, and he's still so young.
1: The only thing about Roxon and I love him. I love to deal with him on the media wise, yeah. and I and I think he's an incredible rider. But he talks a lot, whenever I talk to him, even when the recorder's off, um, or when the recorder's on, he talks a lot about wanting to have fun. And he, if, he rides, <laughs> if he rides the best he, he can and he has fun, then he'll take whatever result he can get. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. But right. that worked in the 90s. That was McGrath and Emig having fun. If you want right. Ryan Dungey's not having fun. At the Baker Factory. It's not right. fun. It's nothing but hard work. And we saw Ryan Villapoto get burnout. We saw Carmichael get burnout. And, you know, hey, yeah, you're it's not much fun, but you're going to make millions and millions of dollars. um And then you're going to be able to retire when you're 26, 27 and, and and do what you want. So I love Kenny and I love the fact he wants to have fun. I just don't know if his fun will get him uh titles and championships. Do you agree? Well, that's a really good, that's a, you know, I know what you're saying
0: yeah. and uh, I've heard all that stuff myself. Right. And you know who you know who could probably shed more light on that's probably Ricky Carmichael because like we both know he didn't come from the school of fun but no. his racer
1: right now Roxen you know you know seems to have that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. Um, no, and I mean yeah. hey maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Roxen has fun and wins titles. You know, I'm sure he works hard, don't get yeah. me wrong. I know he's working hard, but to the amount of work that Dungie puts in it's yeah. not fun. Yeah. So, oh, I know. I, uh, yeah. you look at that podium last week, I uh, know, you know right? between
0: Dungy and and Marvin and um who's been phenomenal this year in my opinion and uh, Jason Anderson how consistent he's been those are all three of Eldon's guys right yeah so they, must, yep. they must be doing something right like you know our sport is is everybody out there knows like you live and die on your results man do you know what's and, crazy uh, though
1: like I'm oh, sorry to interrupt you but you know what's true. crazy like okay so we just talked about how hard Alden works these guys and right. and it is no fun I've been there you've been there on in the middle of the week when these guys do motos and bicycles and it is no fun. But then you go back to the 80s when we didn't know as much about the human right. body and training and everything else. Wardy told me he rode his bike 90 straight days. He would fly out, ride before he flew out. He'd fly, ride when he flew back um, the next day. He rode it 90 straight days. Omera did triathlons and ran his balls off all the time. Right. And, right. and RJ, I'm sure, was training. Like, I'd love to know. And, I, and there'd be no way to know. But was Omera and wardy in shape like dungey and carmichael and villapoto were they were they not working as hard cuz they didn't know as much like i there's no way to know but do you know what i mean
0: yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I've I've talked to Johnny about it, and I've talked to people like David Bailey about it, and and maybe like guys like Jeff Stanton, and and certainly Jeff Ward. And I don't want to put words in those guys' mouths, but I think that they worked every bit as hard in that era as the guys do now. You do, you think okay, so? But, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe science and and technology, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and you know, train, you know, just you know, advances in in right. medicine and training and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's probably a bigger part of the equation now but yeah yeah going back to the uh ward uh, Bailey, Stanton, Johnny, yeah. Stanton yeah. for sure. Maybe more than anybody. Uh, those guys worked as hard, no doubt about it. Yeah. Maybe different, maybe right. more like fundamental, rudimentary type right. type training. But yeah, those guys, those guys are. You can just see how they live their lives now, man. Like what Johnny does, and I know Jeff Ward has always got something going on with like his,
1: you know, riding bicycles. Yeah, and yeah. The pain no, you I, deal. No, no, I just it's phenomenal what those guys did. You know, yep. I mean I think O'Mara even talks about doing a triathlon before the day before national or two days before national or whatever it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean I've even heard talks and people say things that maybe Johnny and some of the other guys too might have even overdone it, you know.
1: Yeah, no, right. So I don't know. It's just I'd love to know because then you but then you had a guy like Dogger who trained nothing and he could beat those guys every now yeah, and then. We have
0: we have guys like that now. Yeah, we do, I you're
1: think. right. Yeah, we probably do.
0: You know um, that that just that natural talent. You know, like motocross, probably more far and away more than any form of racing. You know, it it's the guy. You know, it's more the guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it is. And uh, if you're gonna, not only is it the guy as far as like his talent, but the guy with his heart and his determination and how mm-hmm. far he's willing to put it out there. Like, you know, to have all those things to come together in one person—that's really rare. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Like again, I always kind of go back to Ricky Carmichael, man. Like I don't think there's ever going to be a guy like him.
1: Like yeah, that. no. I, I I had a first I had a first row seat as a mechanic first when he was yeah. in 125s, and I was in 125s, and then when he moved up, I moved up as far as working for Red Dog and Nick Way, and I had a front row seat for uh, a lot of uh, demolishing wins by Carmichael. <laughs> Just yeah, I mean I did a story with him a couple a couple of years ago. He only lost 25 nationals. Yeah, twenty well, yeah, twenty
0: five nationals. I mean, that's just crazy. You go through like the AMA media guide, or yeah, you know yeah, right. the vault, the Racer X vault. Right.
1: It just goes pages and pages with number ones on it. And, and one thing too that I I always tell people that I mean he, Carmichael's not a fan of me, and I'm not really a fan of his, but that's another story. But I tip my hat to him. He's an incredible, amazing rider. And one of the things I think people don't understand that, that I've seen is I've also seen Carmichael. Absolutely eat shit in practice or in a modal or some crashes that would knock a regular guy out of the race and that guy would get up and go just as fast. Or he would show yeah. up for the next practice session where you were like, oh, Carmichael might be seriously hurt, man. We, he might be out. Uh, and then that yeah, guy shows yeah. up the next practice session and, and sets the fastest time. He was so tough. He was so I, tough. I, I, yeah,
0: yeah. No, I think what my theory on Ricky is, and a couple people maybe close to him maybe agree, is that I think Ricky Carmichael was more terrified of losing than he was like wanting to win, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. He, just, he just was just petrified to lose, I think.
1: <laughs> well, I think, and I think that goes back to Jeannie, you know, and, 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 the, yeah. and being brought up that way. And you, we goes back to our talk earlier about maybe your home life isn't the greatest, um, when you're one of these driven little kids, um, yep. because it just has to be that way.
0: Yeah. And I think Ricky, that's a story that needs to be told one day is, is Ricky talking about, you know, the sacrifice and, and, yeah. uh, the yeah. dream to make it. And again, that, that mm-hmm. desire to win i have i've never i don't think there's another rider i've ever met like that
1: yeah, in like, any sport it's like hey kids you want millions of dollars all right you'll be up millions of dollars you'll be one of the one of the greatest of all time in your chosen sport or profession but uh, to get there uh you're going to have a lot of damaged relationships with a lot of people um along the way and just because of you're so driven and you have blinders on yeah. You know, yeah. and and, I mean, and that goes to, like, not just, I'm not specifically referring to Ricky, just right. top-level guys, just maybe outside of Jeremy, because he breaks a lot of rules when it comes to that. But, um, you know, we've seen it time and time again with parents yeah, and riders. Yeah, well, Jeremy
0: and, is, you know, we know, like, Jeremy had more fun with it. He was more of a, I think it might have come a little easier to Jeremy, mm-hmm. you know, the, the especially the Supercross. And, you know, I think he's a little bit more of a, uh, gregarious personality, and he likes playing to the crowd, and he, you know, mm-hmm. loves, oh, uh, you know, entertaining the fans. I know that's really important to him, and he's the greatest Supercross rider in history. I don't think anybody's going to touch him either. But I think Ricky was like Ricky, like that desire to win, and and like I mean, look, look what Ricky did with Supercross. He wasn't a natural born Supercross guy, no, no, you know? but he figured it out, man. And you know how he figured it out? Like Jeff Stanton figured it out, just straight up hard work.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really. I really thought James was going to beat Jeremy's record. I truly did. Uh I've never seen a guy so good on a motorcycle. I don't think I've still never seen a guy so good on a motorcycle at his peak um able yeah. to ride a bike, but he just it just it's it's clearly not going to happen and I thought he had was the had the goods to be, you know, the best of all time. I really did.
0: Yeah, I mean somewhere somehow one of the boxes didn't get checked off. <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, no, and exactly, I don't mean yeah. that the
0: wrong way about James. I'm just saying, yeah, like, no, you know, yeah, maybe it's yeah. racecraft,
1: maybe it's like having to learn that lesson to back it off five percent. Right. I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yep, something wasn't there. Um, yeah, you know, uh, but man, the guy did things that when I saw McGrath and I was like, oh my god, no one's doing that. And as far as McGrath was staying lower than everybody, you know, uh, yep. pre jumping, soaking it up a little bit, and then James just scrubbing and the. The quads and everything else—you're just like no one's doing that ever, you know. And but yeah, just one of those things where Pastrana was a little like that too, though. Pastrana blew oh, yeah. my mind in practice and here and there in uh, yeah. races, you know. Pastrana, you're just like whoa, like you know.
0: Yeah, so. well, he fell into more of that Jeremy yeah, kind of think so. you know, school of yeah. of, of, of approach, his approach to racing, where he just he loved being an entertainer. Yeah.
1: You know? Uh well, I think you entertained us, Eric, for uh, for yeah. this podcast. Yeah. I, I really uh, appreciate appreciate the time. Yeah, hour and ten minutes. Where did it go?
0: Yeah, I can't. I uh, can't believe how long we talk, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh,
1: thanks. Uh, thanks for doing it. Always fun to bench race with you, EJ. And I look forward to uh, reading uh, your next article that you do for X Magazine. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it, man.
0: Yeah, well, likewise, Steve. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you're, like I tell you when I see you, you're doing great work out there, brother. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. coming for you. It means something. So, uh, oh, alright, EJ, we'll uh, we'll see you soon, man. All right, Steve. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to The Steve Mathis Show presented by Fox Racing And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't gonna give 100%, I'm
2: not gonna take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was gonna miss. The Dogger, Ron Machine. Until
1: you really open your ears and you wanna listen to what they're saying,